Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. I'm Angelique Rocher. And I'm Judy Stevens. This week on Women of Marvel, I have something a little bit different for you. Instead of an interview or two, I had a roundtable conversation. I invited four Marvel editors, two past and two present, on to talk about girl comics. Okay, wait, what do you mean by girl comics? Like comics for girls? Yeah, so we're going to talk about that quite a bit in the roundtable, but yes and no. We definitely talked generally about comics for girls, but also Marvel's precursors, Timely Comics and Atlas Comics, ran a series back in the 40s and 50s called Girl Comics. It was a romance and girls adventure series with titles like I Can't Escape from Love, Blind Date, and Borrowed Love. I mean, Girl Comics is, you would think it would be like a subtle name, but it's not subtle. We've had Trina Robbins on here, the comic historian herself, talk all about how she grew up reading Girl Comics, how she came back to Marvel at a period of time to try and pitch more of the sort of same genre of Girl Comics. But it is a really interesting genre because it proves that girls and women were reading comics all the way back in the 40s. Absolutely. And... Something I once heard someone say about romance comics is, you know, what happened to romance comics? Where did they go? All comics became romance comics. It just got rolled into all the other genres of comics. And I think that they had that influence on even the superhero stories. That's certainly why I started reading superhero comics was for the romance. I wouldn't say the same. I definitely was there for the boom and the pow and I stayed for the romance. But (laughs) yes, I agree. (laughs) I think it's interesting, though, when I first heard the word girl comics, I was like, huh? What? That was a type of comic? Why did we break this out? I mean, when you look back at the genre of comics, I mean, we think about comics now, we mostly think of superhero comics, right? And everything else is what we would, I guess, call a graphic novel. But in the 1930s and 1940s, superhero comics was a very new genre. And previous to that, it was all these other different comics that came out of like cartoons and the funnies. I mean, if you can even go back to like the political cartoons, all of that stuff became their own genres. And then somewhere along the line, comics became sort of superhero comics but girl comics was a specific period of time the name is a little derogatory i feel like but it says what it is it's the name on the box so fast forward to 2010 and marvel did a year-long marvel women project and as part of that announced a three-issue limited series created entirely by women do you want to guess what they picked as the title was it girl comics Oh, it was. They called it Girl Comics as an homage to that 1940s series. And not everyone loved that choice. They got a lot of backlash from fans. Some said that the word girl was infantilizing and they should be called women. Some said the whole project was offensive because it siloed women into just one series. But the editors stood behind the title and the project. And since then, we've done many other women-focused anthologies and now women-focused and non-binary anthologies since then, too. Most recently, there was Women of Marvel number 1 earlier this year, and we also had Fearless in 2019, just to name a few. But, you know, going back to that period of time in 2010, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast and in the panels, was at that period of time at Marvel, there were no female-led titles. X-23, which was written by Marjorie Liu, was one of the last titles that had a female lead in the front of the book. And at that period of time, having those conversations about 
what can we do to showcase female creators? And sort of looking back at that now and where we are today, it's pretty phenomenal. And the fact that, Ellie, that you could sit down with two women of that period of time who've gone on to have successful careers outside of Marvel and then two new editors at Marvel. I mean, that's that just sounds amazing. It was a great conversation. And they've been involved in these comics over this past decade. Janine Schaefer and Lauren Sankovich were both editors on that 2010 Girl Comics series. They were part of the team that picked the title Girl Comics. And then Sarah Brunstad and Lauren Bissom are two current editors at Marvel. Lauren edits a lot of YA titles here. And Sarah actually edited that Women of Marvel number one book you just mentioned, Judy. So it's a really cool group of women editors. They all joined me to talk about girl comics, comics for women more generally, and what it's like to be an editor at Marvel. Here's that conversation now. So we have four of you with us today. So I think to start us off, let's just go through and have everybody introduce yourself. Sarah, let's start with you. Yeah, hi, thank you for having me. My name is Sarah Brunstad. I'm an editor in the X-Men office. So I'm working on Excalibur and New Mutants and some books like that, in addition to still working on a few sort of Avengers-themed projects like Marvel's Voices, which is kind of across the whole line, and on uh, the Phoenix Song Echo series uh, and a few other books like that. Awesome. Lauren Bissom? Hello, I'm Lauren Bissom. I'm a senior editor here at Marvel. I primarily work on a lot of our juvenile and children's projects through our licensing partners, as well as some comics, mainly Miss Marvel, had a hand in working on Reptile, and a lot of the fun teenage superheroes that we have here at Marvel. Lauren Sankovich. I was an editor at Marvel back in the late aughts and early teens, and I worked in multiple offices and edited everything from the Stephen King Dark Tower books to Marvel Illustrated to the Ultimate line, and then moved over into the Avengers office and worked on Thor, Fantastic Four, and Captain America. And I'm now a geologist at the USGS. Yes. <laughs> and Janine Schaefer. Hi, I'm Janine Schaefer. I worked at Marvel from 2008 to 2015. I was an editor in the Heroes office and in the X office, I worked on Wolverine and X-Men and She-Hulk and Girl Comics as well. And then I was also a talent manager for a couple of years. And now I am writing a series of books. So exciting. I am thrilled to have all of you here, editors past and present, to discuss the idea of the word girl in comics. So that's what we're going to talk about in this roundtable. It's a conversation that has happened at least a couple of times at Marvel. For a little background, Marvel's precursors, Timely and Atlas, had a series called Girl Comics back in the late 40s and early 50s. That was a romance and girls adventure series. Then in 2010, we had another series called Girl Comics. But before we dig into that, are any of you familiar with the 1940s girl comics? They were of their time. <laughs> I don't remember much of the girl comics specifically. I've definitely read a lot of the romance comics. And yeah, some of them have, you know, the intrepid, fun Nancy Drewness to them. And some of them are unfortunately pretty male-centric. They don't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
let's go ahead and jump forward to 2010. Lauren and Janine, you were editors on that Girl Comics series. Can you talk a little bit about where the series came from first? And then we'll talk about the title. <laughs> yeah, you were our fearless leader, Janine. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> We had wanted to do, if I recall, Marvel had been wanting to do something around March for Women's Month, right? And I had been talking to David Gabriel, actually, our head of publicity. I don't know what his official title is. He was saying we wanted to do something special and that he was kind of like, you guys should just get together and talk about what you want to do and run with it. And like, whatever you guys kind of want to do, we, we can do that. So we kind of came up with this whole like initiative that would start that March and last throughout the whole year. We did Girl Comics, which was an anthology series that was every person who touched it was a woman from the editorial staff, writers, artists, letterers, the production staff, the design staff, everything. If I remember correctly, Janine, did you also try to get them to see if we could have a woman working at the printer as well? That like I said, our person <laughs> that there talked, was like to like, yes, actually set the printing that. press going, like press the button. <laughs> we had talked about that because I think, you know, it was maybe kind of gimmicky. But, you know, at the time, we had just wanted to get away from that, like, pow, Zoom, girls read comics too. Like, we wanted to sort of pull back the curtain a little bit and say like, well, not only do girls read comics, but they are making comics. They've always made comics. They've been making comics since the 40s, since the 30s, you know, and they're doing every job that you can do making a comic book. Like Marvel would not function without its pretty massive female staff. So that's what we were trying to do. And, you know, I know people took umbrage with everything from the concept to the name, but we thought it was a lot of fun. I had a ton of fun working on it. Lauren, you were there. What do you think? Yeah, no, it was really great because we got to not only reach out to people that we had worked with before that we loved working with, but it was an opportunity to like, oh, this is the chance I have to work with this person that I've sort of been dying to like not only work with, but also like get to know and like email them like, hey, do you want to work on this comic with me? It's called Girl Comics. So it was like this really great opportunity to get more even people that maybe didn't traditionally work at Marvel or didn't weren't present at Marvel their art styles they weren't part of the larger milieu at that point so it was yeah. really fun to see the variety of artists and writers that we were able to put together to tell like some really interesting stories that you know some were more recognizable as like mainstream some were more offbeat but all of them dealt with like fun interesting questions and were directed by women so it was like getting to go to like a secret clubhouse kind of and just we're gonna work on this yeah. comic today and if I remember correctly we like actually had some meetings where like all of us just sat down together we're like Ooh, what are you working on yeah let me see what you've got yeah it was really fun and we also did a lot of kind of spotlight on women historically at Marvel you know like Flo mm -hmm. Steinberg and Linda Fight and Ramona Fraden oh gosh yeah Ramona Fraden to again like show women have been around this is not new. This is not, oh, it's 2010 and now we're in the future and women are working on comics. Like, they have always been working on comics. Yeah. Women were painting in caves just alongside <laughs> the men. <laughs> They're now discovering that a lot of those old cave paintings were by women. Like, they now believe that they were done 
probably by women because of the stuff that they focused on, you know, the idea of fertility and children and using it as a document of, you know, their lives and stuff like that, that it would have been women doing that sort of historical documentation at the time. So someone Google it. This is what I vaguely remember. And it sounds good. So does our resident geologist want to sign off on that? <laughs> My first degree is actually in archaeology. <laughs> so and actually, the, the more interesting question is like what gender roles were and how people identified then anyway, whether you were a woman or whether you were a third gender or no genders, like we don't actually know because we have these paintings, but we don't, you know, we don't have these people to talk to. So it's even more fascinating. No, that's fascinating. And while I was saying it, I was like, there probably were much more complicated thoughts about gender than we know, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes the conversation about the word girl that much more interesting. Oh my gosh, people were so mad. Everyone was mad. There wasn't a single person that wasn't mad. Women were (laughs) mad. Men were mad. We made the internet angry. People were upset about it. And what's funny is that the thing that I heard the most from the people that I had so wanted to reach, the women who I knew read superhero comics and, you know, very vocal online about them. And I was very excited for this project because I was like, we're on the same wavelength and everything. And they were like, of course, the men at Marvel think that this is what we want. And I was like, no, no, it's us. We're doing it. (laughs) It's us. They were like, are you sure you want to call it that? And we said, yes, like that was fully my idea. So see, like women are not a monolith. Nobody can have an opinion that every single woman agrees with. That would be a ridiculous thing for us to assume. But I think for a long time, I mean, and still across every industry, but definitely in comics and, and entertainment, there was this idea that if you could just hit on the one thing that women would like, which is absurd. Yes. So real quick, before we talk about how you arrived at that title, Sarah and Lauren, did you all read Girl Comics? Did you encounter this either at the time or after the fact? I didn't read it at the time, but I, I certainly have since, for sure, because I've, I've built other women-centric anthologies and definitely wanted to consult that one to see what had been done before and took a lot of inspiration from it. In Marvel's Voices and the Women of Marvel issue, we do a lot of very quick stories or like one pagers, which you guys did in Girl Comics really well. I remember, I think it's Stephanie Buscema who drew the Venus stories in that one, which I Mm -hmm. loved. Yeah. So yeah, very familiar. I was not familiar before this, I'll admit. I came to comics really, really late in the game because comic shops intimidated me and I just didn't know where to start. So I wish I'd seen this earlier, but... I've read most of the run since then, and I have to say the spotlights that you guys did were among my favorite just because I don't know about so many creators or I didn't before. And so it's nice to just have that context within this larger scope. I love how it shows you on the page that women have always been in comics. And then the stories themselves, they were all just really fun. And I loved the different art styles you guys got to bring to the table women aren't a monolith. And I think that this series kind of shows that in the art alone. I loved that it had a voice though, that like the issues spoke to you directly and it can kind of had like an editorializing that I found really appealing. The spotlights, I want to say too, that was Sana Amanet. She did all of that research. She reached out to all those women, the women who are still with us and those who aren't. She did a ton of research on them and, and wrote those pieces herself. That was awesome. And also, I think it's really interesting, Sarah, that you brought up this idea that it was like speaking to you. 
And we had had kind of the idea of having a framing device sort of introduces the concept. And so it's not just like a bunch of stuff all kind of thrown together, but we also don't want it to be like letter from the editor and like just somebody blah, blah, blahing about it. So we had reached out to Colleen Coover and she was the one who came up with that vehicle doing the nine panel grid, picking the characters. She wrote everything. It was, it was really her concept for those framing pages. And I think it really just elevated the whole project, that that was the first thing you saw. And it really, like you said, you know, spoke directly to you. And I thought that was so cool. So let's talk about the umbrage and anger and all of these things. So how did you all arrive at the title of Girl Comics? And what were some of the conversations that happened along the way? And then in the defenses that you unfortunately had to offer after the fact? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I was part of the conversations for naming the book, but I was totally behind the choice. I just remember not wanting to be stuffy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like this idea of, you know, oh, women of Marvel. And obviously I love that as a umbrella, you know, I just kind of started Googling like, well, what kinds of things existed at the time? And now I can't remember. I wish I knew definitively if somebody had pointed us to that, like somebody recalled that Marvel had done girl comics at some point. And so then we started looking it up. Does anyone remember? We do love to bring back an old title. Yeah. We love yeah. it. It lends legitimacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is what History. <laughs> Legacy. <laughs> Legacy. Thank you, Ellie. That's exactly it. Makes search functions very hard. <laughs> yes. But I, I liked that we were able to find something in our history that spoke to what we were trying to do, but that we got to infuse it with new meaning because we were in a different like phase of American culture of the present. The comics of the 40s, you know, had their place and were of their moment. And us being able to take girl comics, put a little cheeky bent to it and say, yeah, being a girl isn't bad. Being a girl can be powerful, can be fun, can be ridiculous, can be silly, can be girly, but can also be powerful. I guess there's, you could say reclaiming the title to a certain extent, but I think it was also because it's fun. Like there's something inherently fun and not stuffy with that presentation. And we also certainly have superheroes who have the word girl in their hero name, though that is also something that we have a history of there being conversation around kind of as things have occurred. Back in 1985, Invisible Girl became Invisible Woman. And we got to see some of this conversation play out in the course of actually impacting the story. Do you all have thoughts on that in terms of girl as part of a superhero name it still like makes me roll my eyes honestly (laughs) like I also understand like having a degree in anthropology that like if you're looking at things from the past it's super important to try not to impose your current values on it because it was a completely different time with people who were doing their best with what they had and sometimes their best was terrible but in order to learn from that I need to figure out a way to channel my outrage into something productive So, you know, I think I understand why it was Invisible Girl when Stan and Jack first started Fantastic Four and they moved to woman because, oh, she's a woman. She's past puberty. She has a life and does things and has kids. Let's give her the dignity that she's already demanding as a character. Has there ever been an instance of like a male hero going from boy to man? Because I know there's been a lot of girl to woman. 
Um, I mean, we have Novar, who still, I think, goes by Marvel Boy, even though he's like 22-ish, somewhere in that range of our It's hard years. to tell with that cockroach DNA. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, executive functioning doesn't like really gel until you're 30, so... Just... Or never. Or never, Janine. <laughs> <Fine. laughs> right, exactly. Just fake it till you make it. We've already talked about this a little bit, but what kind of reactions did you all get to the title and how did you end up formulating a response? My recollection was that everyone was mad and nobody liked it. Yeah, the internet was very unhappy. And we kind of went through, after we hit on Girl Comics, I think we put it aside and kept saying, let's cycle through other names, let's cycle through other names. And we just kept coming back to it. And so we were like, all right, we're just going to run with it. A lot of women seemed to think that it was men creating something that they thought that women would like. And so, of course, quote unquote, of course, they use the word girl comics and they're marginalizing us. And like, I, I think at the time I was very upset that everyone was so mad. But now 11 years later, I'm like, of course, like I feel a lot more like empathetic about, of course, I can see why you would feel upset and why you might think that it was not the choice of the women working on the book or because maybe comics in general does not have the greatest track record in terms of like introducing things that are for women or saying like, you know, okay, you guys can have this thing over here, but that means that you can't have X-Men or Hulk or, you know, Captain America or whatever. You have girl comics over here. For example, when I was in high school, the comic shop that I went to, they had a spinner rack that had a sign above it that said girl comics. But it was like, essentially, they were like TNA comics, which is fine. I have nothing against those, but those were not created for women. Again, that is fine. But I do think it's funny that that's what people were sort of grappling with. And so maybe that's what people felt we were trying to do as well, you know? I remember that period, there was a lot of controversy. There was a lot of buzz in the comics community in general about how stories were told and the male gaze versus the female gaze and who are we writing the comics for and who's behind them. And we were having these conversations in the office regularly, but it's easy to lose sight of the fact that no one on the internet knows that. No one on the internet knows that, you know, we're having these conversations and trying to look at what kind of positive change we can implement in these books. And I think we're seeing since then, in the 10 years since then, we're seeing the fruits of that labor. We're seeing that with the books that Sarah and Lauren are working on that are going out into the world where we have not just comics that feature women or are written by women, but comics that feature everyone. And that it's not odd for your lead character to be LGBTQ+. It's not weird for your entire creative team to have zero white males, <laughs> you know? These are things that be, are becoming not even acceptable, but just sort of like, yeah, okay. It feels more like we're moving in the direction we hoped to get to. It's really exciting to see where things have gone since then. I totally agree, Lauren. And like, you know, I remember at the time when we asked people, there were some creators that we asked who declined to be involved because they didn't want to be involved in something that was labeled girl comics, but not just because of the name, but because of the conceit behind it. And I think that that has been echoed over the years in you know, a lot of women who no longer want to do women in comics panels, they don't want to be highlighted as the woman in something or, you know, the power list for, you know, the women. The others in, in comics. 
Exactly. And I, I think that, you know, there's a place for, for me, I always loved women in comics panels. I loved, you know, the Women of Marvel podcast. I love the idea of girl comics. I love this stuff because it feels like a celebration. But I think when that's the only place where you can get that community, it does start to grate, right? And so now that we're 10, 15, 20 years past this idea of like, oh my gosh, pow bang, a woman, it feels better to have those spaces available so that where you can go and celebrate with people who look like you and feel like you and you know what I mean? It becomes more of an inclusive celebration than a here's where you go if you are a woman or if you are not a cis man, you know, like, okay, so it's cis men and then everyone else, you can come over here and we're going to slap a label on it that says this is for you instead of you have access to everything. Absolutely. And I found even it comes down to what books creators want to work on as well. I have had female creators decline working on female characters saying, you know, sure, I would love to do that. But first, I want to do Spider-Man. I want to do Daredevil that like they want to also be considered for those projects, not just, oh, hey, we need a woman to work on this female character, which has been an interesting move over the years. The fear of being siloed was real. Like, oh, you're the person that writes queer characters really well so you're only going to write queer books or you're the woman and you know about girly things so you get to write this book which is only about those things yeah so like that fear was real there were people that were pigeonholed that way many of them wrote very well in that space but feeling trapped is not healthy for anyone I feel like a lot of editors can have that same fear too of getting siloed with more female-centric projects or younger-feeling projects. I mean, I'm in children's publishing because I love children's publishing. Like, these are the stories that I want to work on. But that's not the case of every female editor. We all have different tastes. And I know I've seen a lot of editors in comics and outside of comics and, you know, more traditional publishing settings where they fight against that. And they have to work hard to make sure that their list stays diverse so they can prove that they can do every kind of story. So we've talked a lot about the past. Let's talk a little bit about the present and the future. Sarah, you had mentioned the Women of Marvel's Marvel's Voices book. Talk to us a little bit about that and how these kind of female-centric anthologies have evolved. Yeah, so the one that came actually before Marvel's Voices was a book called Fearless, And we did, I think it was three issues, maybe it was four, it's been a while. And that was a big collaboration with all of the female editors at the time where we all split up stories and took different parts and really kind of solo edited our little sections and then put them together in a collaboration. And that was my first time working on a book that was explicitly like, we're doing this to highlight women. And we talked about the title Girl Comics at the time and debated about what to do with it because people did feel very on the fence about, you know, is this a title that people are going to react to the kind of the same way as they did back then? Has the sort of dialogue changed? And we landed on Fearless, which was a fun title, and I'm proud of the book. But in retrospect, I actually think that we made a mistake in not being more explicit in the title. Because what I found with Marvel's voices is that people kind of respond when you tell them exactly what it is and what you're trying to do. And like, you know, if you're trying to highlight marginalized voices, then that should be what it is. 
So I've made a really strong effort with Voices to be very clear about who we're trying to reach out to. And yes, we want all of the fans, definitely. And, and we get a lot of them. The books sell well. But I also want to be very explicit about, like, we want women reading these. We want women getting excited about the possibility of making these. When we do the, the legacy issues that highlight Black History Month, we want Black creators to notice. We want Black fans to feel at place here. So that's kind of where my own personal thinking has evolved, that like, I think the closer we get to the kind of world that we want, the more that we can just say what we're doing and, and have that be a good thing that people celebrate. And I think that that came true with the Indigenous Voices issue that I did. People were really excited that it was called Indigenous Voices. That's what it was. And it told people who had never thought to pick up a comic book before that that was for them. And that one, I don't think anyone expected that book to do well, and it kind of blew people out of the water. You know, not that it sold like Hulk or something, but it did well, and it did much better than anyone expected it to. And I think that's what we're discovering, is that, yes, when you make the effort, when you tell people to come, they will come. So we saw the same thing with Women of Marvel, where I put together a big anthology and got to have a lot of fun with the kind of stuff that you guys are talking about, where we got to have some like softer, you know, quote unquote, girly, pink colored sort of stories. But then we also got to do like five pages of Marrow and Feral just going at it in Krakoa and really kind of fun, brutal fight scenes as well. So that was my goal going into Women of Marvel was to like celebrate all of these different aspects of womanhood and of being a woman in the kind of current comics climate, which is like you guys are saying all over the place. We're creating all kinds of things. Lauren Bissom, how do these issues kind of play out in the YA space where I would imagine the word girl is perhaps a little bit more palatable to people universally, but some of these same themes probably emerge there? I'd say so. I think it's easier in the kids space, especially right now, because there's a big movement that I really believe in in not gendering books for kids because all books should be for all kids, which has been really nice. I mean, you'll still get some people that prefer certain characters over others. It's also in the younger space, there's an interesting drop off where after middle grade or right at the tail end of middle grade, which is like 10 to 12, suddenly the boys stop reading as much and your readership becomes a lot more female oriented oftentimes. And there's always this thought that girls will read boy books, but boys won't necessarily read something that they think is for girls. So it's always trying to challenge that, present something that feels gender neutral, but still celebrates a female character. There aren't that many instances so far where I've had to had a book that just talks about celebrating girls. It's usually more character focused, but we did recently do a book in partnership with Abrams, which originally it was Marvel uplifting and it's a sort of beautiful pop-up book that celebrates all these Marvel heroes who are all women. And so at first, we didn't want to advertise necessarily that it was just the women of Marvel. But eventually, we got to the end stages, and their sales team was like, why aren't we celebrating this? Why isn't this on the cover? It's obvious what this is. So we ended up settling on Magnificent Women of Marvel. But it was definitely a conversation to be had, and it was, it was an interesting one. I think it's an ever-evolving one in the kids' space. Because why readers tend to be more female, you don't have to drag them in at as hard, I think. I think part of also what makes me feel better about doing, you know, a title called Women of Marvel and stuff is that we do next issue pages in the back and I can point to 
all of these female-led titles, not just female characters, but female writers and female artists all over the place. I mean, it's exploded in the past 20 years. So I feel like I have the fortune of coming up when I did because I no longer feel like doing a, a Women of Marvel book does silo people that way because it is it is a celebration of like, here's people who are writing stuff all across our line. Here's a Kelly Thompson story. Here's Carmen Carnero drawing something. Now go read their other books, which aren't necessarily about women. So it feels much more like that celebration versus the kind of pandering that it might've felt like, you know, 20 years ago. Speaking of which, are there any books that you would like to get our listeners excited about that are coming their way soon? I am very excited for this Echo miniseries. Rebecca Roanhorse is someone that I brought in with that Marvel's Indigenous Voices. And one of the things that I'm most proud about with the Voices series, which isn't just a solo effort, everyone in the editorial team has been part of this, has been bringing in new people and then finding new places for them. So it's not just like, okay, great, you wrote a three-page story for this, like, I'll never hear from you again. It's like, this was great. We had a great working experience. Let's do more. Let's open the door. And a lot of the people that we've brought in have gone in to do other work. So Rebecca is one of those. She's a fantastic scripter. And the art on that book looks really beautiful. I'm really, really excited for that one because I'm such a fangirl of Rebecca Rowan Horses. I cannot wait to see what she does. Yeah, that one's been really good. And then, of course, Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande's Black Widow book won at Eisner this year, which I'm immensely proud of. It's a beautiful, stylish unique book. So I hope everyone's picking that one up. In December, we will be having a new run of Miss Marvel written by Samir Ahmed that I'm very, very excited about. Samir comes from the world of YA prose. She's recently had her debut middle grade book come out and she's really taken on this Miss Marvel story. And I'm just really excited for comics readers to get to know her and to know Kamala's adventure that she's creating. Down the line, we're going to have some more Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I can't tell you too much about that yet, but I'm very excited for what we're building there as well. And then Kate Bishop Hawkeye, written by Marike Nijkamp. Marike is so good at building action into these stories, and Kate Bishop is just such a fun voice. Can I just say my kids love Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Like, love. They've read the trade so much that the pages are literally falling out. They love it so much. She's probably my favorite Marvel hero because she's so unapologetic about who she is and never doubts herself. And sometimes when I'm like waffling on an editorial note, I'll be like, don't question <laughs> it. Just be Moon Girl. Just go for it. I love that. Janine, since you mentioned your kids, anything you want to tell us about the future of female comics fans? <laughs> my gosh, I don't know. They're doing a lot in their school with graphic novels because they're now really kind of accepting that comics and graphic novels are helping kids to read faster than picture books, than chapter books. Like not that they should not be reading chapter books too, because they are. But I mean, I think there used to really be this feeling that like, take that comic book away. It's not helping them to read. But the combination of the words and the pictures, the way that the art is laid out on the page, the way that your brain kind of works when you look at the page, the whole page first, like you don't even realize your whole brain is looking at the page and then you start to look at each panel. It's helping kids to understand storytelling. So, you know, our kids can take graphic novels out of our school library, which is very exciting. And I just think that's really cool. So, and I hope that we do more of that stuff. I helped to do the Scholastic Book Fair for Margot's kindergarten year. So it was two years ago. 
and like the amount of graphic novels that they bought were, I mean, off the charts, like seeing it now with my own eyes every day. I'm like, this is it. If we can get in here, this is it. (laughs) Starting this June, Marvel and Scholastic launched their first graphic novel in our partnership, which was Miles Morales Shockwaves. And then our second one, which just came out a couple weeks ago, is Miss Marvel Stretch Thin, written by Nadia Shamas. I love Nadia. She's so good. She's so good. Made me laugh so many times in that script. Also, it was like just such an easy script to edit. She got Miss Marvel so quickly. And then illustrated by Nabi HLE. And he came from the picture book world and his sequentials blew me away. But they're very sweet. They're very fun. It's such a great grounded Miss Marvel story that still has a great action-packed villain in it. But those books that we're working on with Scholastic, I hope will bring a lot more, especially girl readers, to comics and graphic novels earlier and also to superhero comics i mean the last i'd say five to ten years especially with first second we've seen such a growth in the middle grade space in graphic novels and they've as you said janine have been accepted in a whole new way by teachers and parents and librarians but it's exciting to try and bring them into the superhero space earlier any final thoughts from anybody i would just like to say that i'm really grateful to Lauren and Janine and the whole crew that like came up and really made Women of Marvel a thing and like were there at a moment that I remember feeling very pivotal as a fan of Marvel making a genuine effort to say we want you here to be readers we're changing characters to bring you in it really felt like a tidal shift and so I feel very privileged to be at the position that I'm at now because of the work that you guys and, and a lot of the other editors at that time did. That's oh, very Sarah. sweet. Thank That's you. really lovely. Thank you. I, I said it earlier, it's so exciting to see what you guys are doing now based off of what we hoped to be able to do then and that you guys are like so far beyond <laughs> that at this point. Yes. Yes. It is really, yes. really exciting to see that. Well done. Thanks again to Janine, Sarah, and both Laurens for joining me for that roundtable. They all said how special it was to have a conversation like that with past and present women editors, and I could not agree more. It was also delightful to get to see some women who I worked with at the very beginning of my Marvel career and the women I'm fortunate enough to work with now. So next week, we're back to more regular interviews. And Judy, you have something a little exciting and different planned for us, right? Yes. I mean, on the theme of hearing from Lauren Bissom talking all about editing YA titles and how YA tends to skew more towards girls and young women, uh that's what we're talking about next week. Yay! I'm actually really excited to talk to two amazing YA authors, who write for Marvel, Sam Maggs and Nick Stone. And we're going to chat about Shuri and the Wasp and writing for young adults. But until then, this is Marvel, your universe. Woman of Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Isabel Robertson, Jasmine Estrada, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, oh, that's me, and Anjali Crochet. Our development manager is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen. And our executive producer is Jill Duboff. Listen weekly on Sirius XM and on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. See you guys next week. Bye.